Uh, so welcome. Today uh, I'm here with the Pacific Heart Podcast with Susan Liu, uh, who is performing her uh, one-woman show, 140 Pounds, How Beauty Killed My Mother, at CampFest 2019. Um, and, uh, and you've also performed this before in Seattle and other places as well. Right. So, um, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself and about the show. Sure. So I'm a Vietnamese American. My parents were refugees. They came over in 83. And um, I was born in the East Bay, grew up in Santa Rosa. Okay. Yeah, and I grew up in a nail salon. So oh, my parents wow. had a nail salon, and that's, that was childcare. You know, that's, that's where I just um, learned what it means to, to build a really strong work ethic. And, and it was also there that my world started falling apart. So my mom, she um, passed away when I was 11 from plastic surgery malpractice. And it was that point, that defining moment in time that everything kind of fell apart. You know, the, the nail salon fell apart, our entire family unit, 13 people in a four-bedroom house dwindled down to three people. Like, there's a lot of separation. Totally and broke up the family. It totally that, broke up the family. Event. Of course. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so it's been about 23 years now since she's been gone. 23 years. So she passed away in 1995. 1996. 1996, okay. That's right. Actually, on Geary Boulevard. Wow. And, um, and for a long time, I've always wanted to know my mother. And I also didn't understand how someone um, who was on probation, didn't have malpractice insurance, 24 lawsuits against him, how did they walk away free from this? And so I wanted to track down the man responsible for my mother's death. And in the end, what I did was I really found out who she was. So I wrote a show about it. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, tell me. I, I think it, I read that uh, that you kind of uh, started to think more deeply on your wedding day. Was yeah. It, uh, and you saw an empty seat for yeah. your mother that was left for your mother. Is that? Yeah. Is that wrong? I mean, it's when it, when you get married, you think about the family drama that's going to happen. And here, I just had this this clear physical emptiness. Um, and it's one thing to get a new mother-in-law and, and and have that maternal figure in my life, but. I still want my mom to be there. Sure, sure. Well, it, it, it's such a huge, uh, enormous loss yeah. to lose your mother. So I'm, I'm so sorry for you and your family. And I have uh, several patients who have lost uh, parents. And yeah. So it's just, an, it, it was just a, a trauma that follows you. Yeah, I mean, losing your parent is one thing. Losing when you're 11 right. is also exactly. another thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, um, so t- uh, maybe you can tell me a little more about the issues that you yeah, so I explore body, beauty, and death. Um, my mom died from plastic surgery malpractice, and she wanted to get a tummy tuck. You know, she she had four kids, and she wanted to, to turn out. And it's been really interesting because all my entire life, I've I've hated my body. And you know, there's little things that my my family will say. You know, being a Vietnamese woman, you're supposed to fit in an ao yai. You know, you're supposed to be really petite, have all these beautiful angles, and I didn't. You know, I was just kind of like a kind of chubby, tomboyish kid, and that was not a beautiful Vietnamese woman. So you would get a lot of comments about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, people would tell me all the time. My nickname in my family was, like, the, the refrigerator. And, oh. you know, people would always feel like, you know, no one's going to love you unless you lose weight, okay? Like, I'm scared no, no one's going to marry you. Like, this is before my mom's death and after my mom's death, which was even more ironic. Like, did we learn that we shouldn't say these things? And so I explore body image stuff because I go through it too and discovering what that was like for my mom and 
experiencing as me becoming a woman and my body changing um, has been really intense, right? And it and it's and I don't think I'm just like saying like media, you're bad, media stop. It's also culturally as a society, how do we reinforce things as aunties and uncles and sisters and friends? Like what are the little things that we say? How do we judge people that really help starts to internalize, gosh, I hate my body. I wish it could look different. Yeah, yeah, it's such a common experience, especially with Asian American families and for women and probably every Asian American family drama I've seen. Yeah. Uh, reinforce that has that right. those comments that comment right. women. Uh, I just saw the farewell last week, and and there's there's all those comments uh, that come at the daughter. Uh, right. So yeah. Yeah. So the first one's body, um, and then second one I'm looking at is uh, beauty as well. Actually, I just talked about beauty. Going back to body. Okay, you go get surgery. You think you're going to be fine. It's a doctor. How do you protect your body? And the thing is, is, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, this, this man who my mom got surgery from, he had a track record. And I would like to have more accountability in the medical space. And I, I'm trying to get people to see that when you walk into an, a, any form of surgery, whether it's elective or not, you cannot assume it's safe. They do not need to tell you they're on probation. And so it's very important to just look up the or background. Record. All of it. Just go look up the background of your doctor. And so I'm hoping to create more awareness around that issue. Um, because, you know, growing up low income, you know, depending what kind of insurance you have, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to challenge your doctor. You want to, you don't want to get a second opinion. Doctors are at the top of the social strata. They're educated. You know, everyone wants their kids to be doctors. So why ever challenge that person or the system? And I just would like people to be more awake to that because over 400,000 people die every year from medical accidents. Yeah, uh, and, and your mom uh, kind of went in very uh, trustingly. Uh, of course. This, this man had a really great reputation. He would advertise to Vietnamese folks in the Vietnamese Weekly newspaper, and it talked about how he had volunteered during the Vietnam War. Was he a white? Quotation, uh, yeah. You know, and it's like, I'm not trying to bring down the medical system. I'm just trying to say, let's make educated decisions. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, did you find out uh, pretty quickly what had happened, or was there a secret around what happened to your mom? I had no idea. I mean, I was 11. I remember I had to go in and give depositions when I was 13. And then one day, uh, a friend comes to school and shows me a newspaper from the San Francisco Examiner about my, my mom. I had no idea all of this was happening because we didn't talk about it at home. And also, you know, with my dad's level of English, I don't know how much he was aware of what was happening. To did, be did he even totally know frank. that your mom had gone in for plastic surgery? Yeah, he dropped her off. I mean, he knew that, yeah. But in terms of this man's background and, you know, we, the fact that, you know, she had signed away a lot of things and, and he, we, we couldn't actually capture any money from him. Family did pursue legal. Yeah, but 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 they didn't have they didn't have he didn't have malpractice insurance, which is incredible. Right, yeah. right. So I would like people to be more you can't even drive a car without insurance. Right, to practice and medicine. lawyers have to tell you when they're on probation. So why not doctors? Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. And the third thing I explore in the show is just about death and about loss, mm -hmm. grief, and healing, and what do you do with all this trauma? And what you'll find out in the show is. Like most Asian families, we aren't there to be emotionally supportive. We're there to eat with each other, but we're not there to process. 
And in my search for finding out who my mom was, I get a lot of resistance from my family. And you'll see that in the show. Well, uh, yeah, I think I can tell since you talk about that there's emotion there. This is a very uh, powerful topic, so it's really tremendous that you turned it into a show and perhaps as a way of healing for others as well as yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I went in with the intent, like, I'm going to heal other people. And what I have done by by going really deep into this, and I play 10 characters in the show, and having to force myself to be really empathetic to what was their perspective and why, especially if they don't want to talk about it today. And how do I really um, form three-dimensional characters with all these folks involved? Um, how do I love them through it, even if Susan, real Susan, doesn't get that support and love she needs? So you have to embody all their perspectives. That's right, and that has been healing for me too. Yeah, and and actually, uh, just to mention, I mean, I don't, I think you probably know that, of course, your your show is being performed on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day weekend, yeah. So, I mean, boy, that's a quite a large uh, undertaking as well. Uh, did you have any performed on Mother's Day before? Or, no, this uh, is the first time. So, I mean, the world yeah. premiere was just in February in Seattle, and so I, I think. When Karen asked me to do it for Mother's Day, I was I was totally honored and floored. It made so, so much sense. I mean, my mom died just a few miles away from New People Cinema. So to do it there and then is going to be amazing. And I've seen folks bring their – I've seen mother-daughter combinations, parent-child combinations come see the show. And it's really beautiful what happens for them. Yeah, I've had uh... – Several women, uh, in particular, uh, uh, be very concerned about physical appearances from young in their uh, 30s to uh, over 70, and and feeling like they're only valued if they look a certain way. Right. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's, it's, this uh, it's all right. it, uh, it, the feeling of um, uh, imperfection you, you talked about right. uh, is is so prevalent. You know that that, that and it's kind of an obsession. With, uh, with perfection, uh, right, yeah. a certain kind of perfection. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've heard OCD described as an addiction to perfection. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't know if you want to talk about that from an Asian American woman's perspective, uh, how that uh, influenced perhaps your mom. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. I talk about this show about watching Paris by Night growing mm -hmm. up. So Paris by Night for these people was the one time where we felt like, wow, Vietnamese people, it's flashy, it's a, it's a variety show, song, dance, and theater, and, and, and in the 90s, it was big. And we would watch it on our days off, and this distinct memory I have is just remembering my family just saying, ooh, she can't wear the aoyai, right? You know, she just doesn't know how to wear it, which is, it's not cutting nicely on her, which means, oh, she's not petite enough. She's not thin enough. And... And are we surprised by this? Like, kids, it's girls starting when they're six years old in first grade are thinking about diets. It's crazy. Yeah. They're not already feeling enough when they're six years old. And then historically, when we look at women that were essentially bought and sold as objects and there's dowries related to women, how are you going to get yourself a, a higher price? Oh, so it's probably if you look extremely healthy or you you know you look very beautiful and you're going to pass on better genes it's darwinism right and so we finally emerged out of this where we've got this great feminist movement and women have their own 
jobs or supporting themselves, it's great. But we come from a very traumatic history of being black sold. And so for my aunties, my mom, that generation, to, they're trying to be protective. They're trying to make sure that I'm going to be okay and married off and, and safe. safe and stable right. and all these things and cared for. And that's a purely physical right. manifestation. Because that originally, a long time ago, that was our value. Uh, do, do you feel like you're, what, what do you think influenced your mom to be so concerned about her weight and her appearance and so forth? Uh, uh, do you feel like her, she had personal trauma that, uh, that really led to that? Or, I, I, I mean, I always wish I could talk to her and ask her these questions. Um, I think there's a number of reasons. One, okay, she had four kids. Okay, so I haven't had a child yet, but your body changes. That's one. Two is she was in the nail salon industry. And a very popular customer for Vietnamese, for, for plastic surgery amongst the Vietnamese are nail salon workers. They are in the beauty industry. They are thinking about beauty all the time, if this looks nice and if this looks perfect and how the paint looks. Like, it is part of the industry. And the third part, which I don't think um, most people would expect me to say, is that my mom was very bold and very goal-oriented. She was a boat person. She wanted to leave Vietnam. It took her six attempts to leave, and she left with my dad and my two brothers. We come from a very low-income background, and she found a way to do it. She was fierce, and she was bold. And, you know, and so now that she owns her own nail salon, she wants to look a certain way. She's going to set some goals and get the money to do it. So I think it's not, I, I wouldn't say, like, oh, women who do plastic surgery, how sad. How sad they can't see their interview. I think beauty is very complex. And I, I think the type of feminist I am, it's, it, that choice to do it or not is not binary. It's not like you either good, if you don't choose to do it, and you're bad, you do. That's that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's all about people's personal choice. And so I think the fact that my mom, yes, she was she grew up in an era where beauty, outer beauty and the, that trimness to fit the yeah was very particular. She also was very fierce and goal-oriented, and then she eventually found the money to do it. So, but at the same time, to swim against the current of societal demands is, is, is I mean, I don't want to trivialize the refugees. It's like, you know, it's like crossing an ocean, really, to, to go against that, that demand. I mean, you know, uh, you know, in the social media era, uh, breast implant surgeries have tripled, uh, so plastic surgery dental surgery and so forth that have increased dramatically in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and so clearly, I mean, you know, something's fueling that. Um, so um, so this, is, uh, this is something I think we, we all have to really uh, change and kind of what we promote on social media. So much insecurity. Absolutely. Uh, and, and feeling like, oh, people won't hit the like button, won't appreciate you. And you'll be outcast in some sense. So. Yeah, and I definitely explore what is beauty and what is worth it in the show. You know, I think if I could turn back time, I don't know if I could have ever prevented my mom from doing the things that she did. All I know now is I would love to show her resources to make smarter decisions. Yeah, uh, and you know, I guess you know, I, I certainly appreciate the choice that it it, it takes to, to to do plastic surgery. But uh, another part of me, since I'm a psychiatrist, I wonder, well, you know, I, I have one patient who, you know, was, well, I, I've had several patients who wanted plastic surgery and, and 
often a uh, plastic surgeon will, you know, kind of comply uh, because everybody, you know, we all, you know, could could use some plastic surgery according to a plastic surgeon. But I, I always wish that the plastic surgeons would say, hey, what, well, are there mental health issues here? Or maybe you should talk to someone about your feelings about yourself before uh, before you do this. Of course. You know? So, um, so yeah, so I, 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 I do wish, I mean, so do you kind of uh, explore kind of the mental health issues as well in, uh, in your show? I make a couple of jokes about therapists. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I always yeah. hear those. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, was, and you know, for me and my family, I would to go process my grief through a therapist, and I talk about that in the show. Okay. You know, um, and, and I'm pretty vocal about it, I don't really hide anything in the show, and I'm and I, I talk about therapy and in my public profile as well because it's really important. Um, and especially having a family that didn't want to process my mom's death. And we still haven't actually had a real conversation about my mom's death. Even after they've seen your show. Yeah. You know, they even came to a talk back uh, in Seattle, two siblings. And we were able to talk about it in some ways. But to really talk about what that last day was like for you or... Um, how are you doing now, or what feels empty for you? It's very hard to have those conversations. And I think for Asian Americans, um, we just, our parents might not have showed us those models to support each other in that way. And so I think in my generation, it's our responsibility to, to find more tools to be able to process things so that we don't continue to pass on our trauma gene. Yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, so thank you for uh, for pointing out that therapy is important, uh, and also I think the sense of uh, family uh, breaking the silence and talking about uh, things that are difficult. Um, that's uh, you know certainly that's so common to many Asians. We don't know what our parents went through or why they made the choices they made. You know, from internment to so many other things that, that yeah. happened. Uh, so I think this is this is definitely fits in that. I guess, what are you seeing come out of your work in terms of uh, the effects on audiences? And yeah, it's been it's been really beautiful. I, I would have never imagined this to happen. But after shows, folks, it feels like a, a funeral meets a wedding. You know, everyone wants to share with me what the show triggered for them. Maybe some distance they feel in their family, their own body stuff, something that went wrong medically. And, and what I'm seeing happen with audiences is I, when I shine a light on my specific trauma, they're also shining it on theirs, and they're starting to look at it. You know, uh, people say, like, right after the show, they start calling, people start calling their moms. You know, like, what are the conversations that they need to happen with people who are still alive? That's so important. It's like, yeah, I think that's so true. We, we at best, so many people just uh, limited to whatever texts or you know, comments on posts and so forth, and yeah. we don't have these face-to-face -face conversations. Right. So I think that's so important that this comes out. Yeah. Of your we don't walk around like we're we're actually mortal. We think we're going to be around forever, right? And and I think my show is this big reminder that we don't know when we're going to die. We can't predict anything as much as we try to control. We don't have control. Yeah, and so the quality of relationship through transience is so important. That just brings up you've mentioned in another interview about. Uh, Buddhism and yeah. how that's influenced the show and you. So if you can talk a little bit 
Right, yeah. I mean, I start off the show with lighting some incense um, at one point, and it's, we, you know, we, I grew up with ancestral worship, and it was really important for us to um, pay homage to where we come from and also Buddhism as well. And, and what you hear in the show is my dad says things like balwadi, which means let it go. And so there's something very Buddhist about letting go of things in the past and the pain. But the point is, is at what point is it okay to let things go? When you right. processed it, or is letting it go a way to stuff it? Right. You know, and so that's kind of that tension too of what what is true letting go. And for me, my take on that is you, we need to go through that emotional hurt. We need to go through that grief um, and really sit with it. it. Be is. angry about yeah. it. Be sad about right. it. And then eventually, maybe that can convert to something very positive. And you talk about even trying to uh, find a seed of compassion for the doctor who yeah. did this to your family. That's right. Exactly. Well, I mean, this was all spurred, you know, seeing that my mom was not with me anymore. I, on my wedding day, you know, I started thinking, I, it, this all actually started from a seed of anger and revenge of how can people get away with this kind of stuff? And I think the more I learned about his past and, and then I started to search for his children, over time I realized, you know, they, they went through their own pain of losing their dad, too. We all, as humans, suffer. So so what do you do with that? Do you just, you know, prolong it? Do you agitate it? Or where, at what point can you forgive? And I, I think you reach that point in the show. I do. It's so hard to do, and it, it's so powerful. I think it's so important, especially uh, in these times uh, right now. But uh, I talked about compassion to some young activists, and... and they really said, "Well, this is this is this asking us to do emotional labor," uh, which uh, I was kind of startled by that. And so I don't know what. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, it's obviously not an easy thing to do to forgive or to have compassion to someone who's hurt you deeply, who's taken someone from you, and, and through their inactions and actions. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, what do you say to that comment of this is emotional labor uh, to uh, to love your quote unquote enemy? Yeah, I mean, at, at this point in my life, I got two gears, all right, when I interact with people. In this moment right now, is it life-taking or is it life-giving? There's only, there's only two gears. You know, you're either, Marie, you know, you're bringing me joy like Marie Kondo or you're not, right? And and so the question is, is I can continue to, to direct energy and be angry and it takes energy away from me and it's not going to produce anything not light and so yes I hear these folks talk about emotional labor but what I see it as it's confronting it it's feeling it it's it's going through that grief it's processing it and yes that takes work but what comes out of it is this ability that's much more more life-giving so yes you have to do the emotional labor to think about you know I, I've thought about the doctor during meditation retreats and I and I, I practice metta loving kindness towards him May he be strong and healthy. May he be free from mental suffering. May he love and accept himself as he is this very moment. I think about his kids. Because at this point, sending any negative energy or feeling mad about it is actually bringing the collective down. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to justify his action. I'm not going to put him on a pedestal. I'm not going to honor him and put energy that way. But at, at this point, having this woman 
of acceptance and kindness towards him, actually it uplifts and continues to give more light to the work that I'm doing. I think if I if I sit with that darkness energy forever and hold on to it and then with this grasping and this grasping, this continual resistance doesn't allow space for what can possibly be. Well, it sounds like you've done a lot of work to build that reservoir that can hold that uh, difficulty. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure, uh, as with all trauma, these, these emotions circulate repeatedly. Uh, but uh, but uh, thank you for, for doing the, the hard work uh, to look at this. Uh, so I think all, all the audience will but the one final question, uh, you know, so, so you kind of went, you had, uh, I think you had kind of a circuitous route to performance. You didn't start out wanting to be a performer, right? What, can you tell me about that journey a little bit? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I never, if you look at my past history, you know, I, I used to lead the rallies in high school. I was always on the PA with my chocolate company. I was always the one doing, you know, with my sister, getting everyone riled up and excited about XYZ, Okay. So I've always been a performer, um, and I always wanted to be in the play. I always wanted all the things, but I always felt like it was too late. In high school, oh, I should have done it in middle school. When I was at college at Harvard, my classmates were already um, Screen Actor Guild folks. You know, they were already SAG status. Oh, it's too late. It was always too late. And then when I was living in San Francisco in 2011, I was thinking, you know, I know it's still too late, but... What if the Mayan calendar is true? Like, what if, what if it really, you know, Y2K? Like, what if it really was true, though? Like, what if, what if, what if it was the end of the world? What would be my biggest regret? And so in 2011, 2012, I started stand-up comedy in San Francisco. Because I, I do feel this joy to have the microphone. I do feel in total full orbit when I'm on stage. And I didn't know exactly what that content was going to be like. And as a stand-up, I... I did all these things. I did Tiger Mom. I did my, my pitfalls in relationships. Like, I just, I was just saying stuff. But I didn't have the discipline, nor did I have, um, I think, the continued dedication to keep going. I was scared. It was fun, but I was scared. But I loved me. I, I knew I lived that element, but I didn't know what my point was. Like, what was I supposed to share? And, you know, after I got married, I was thinking about eventually having kids. And I didn't want to be resentful towards them. I didn't want to be like, you can do whatever you want when you grow up, but really know that I didn't do what I wanted when I grew up. And so I said, okay, I'm going to give myself a tad box this, give it two or three years. I want to explore. I want to explore lots of mediums, try lots of things. And in this era of today of social media, I was um, also paralyzed because I was thinking, oh my god, now I need like a million followers. Oh, if I don't have a lot of views, like I suck. But that's not the point of the creative process. The point of the creative process is to continue to iterate, kill your dogs, implode things, keep finding things that resonate for you and the audience and see what marries really well. Right? And so I took a solo performance class. The assignment was um, tell me a five minute story. First thing I said was, I want to bench my mother's bed. And I started telling the class about this story of this, this quest that I'd been on because it was important to me. And they were all like, well, that's really intense, Susan. And I was like, is it, is, it, is, is it great? And so I spent the last 16 months developing small shows. I called them episodes of 20 to 30 minutes each. 
And each time my audience base gets bigger and bigger and people are telling me what it means to them. You said avenge your mother's death. That's yes. where this started. Yeah, um, it was anger. And, and now how, what, what would you summarize it now as? Oh, I'm still avenging my mom's okay. death. But you see, now, what we're avenging is about changing the conversation about body beauty and death. It's about being able to know that you're in the driver's seat of choosing the thoughts in your mind that are creating your reality all the time. That's another Buddhist concept. I know, that's right. The world. That's right. And just being really conscious and intentional about it. And so, you know, I hope I create a space of some possibility of healing, of looking at things, of taking care of some past healings that are hurtful um, by sharing my story with audiences. And so I'm still avenging my mom's death. But now we're, we're, we're just rechanging the conversation about things that, that bring people a lot of suffering that I hope can bring them more joy. Absolutely. We, we do need to change the narrative because the cultural thoughts that get laid down on us are so powerful and so, uh, in many cases, oppressive and restrictive uh, to, to, change, uh, to change our possibilities. So, so thank you for changing the conversation and uh, creating a new narrative uh, for, for all, everyone that sees your show. So uh, I look forward. Thank you for talking to me and I look forward to seeing your full show next month. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, any final things you wanted to say? Sure, I mean, I guess a behind the scenes of what it's like to be a performer is before every show, I look at myself in the mirror and I say three things. I love you, I thank you, I forgive you. And I'm saying that to me, I'm saying that my mom's saying that to me, and I say that to the world. And I think it's really important for people to forgive themselves. And I hope by this show, watching it, they're also able to do that for whatever